What's happening, everyone? Kira and Ben back again. Uh, this week we do have a special guest, Adam. He's been on the show before. You guys know him. I think hopefully last time we had him on, uh, we did Midsummer, and he did not watch the movie. Adam, I hope you came prepared this time. I did come prepared, and for the record, I contributed a lot to that movie. Yeah, we found out you thought Christian was hot. Okay, so this week um, we are covering a new film. Um, It has just been released to Netflix. It is called Rebel Moon, A Child of Fire, Part 1. If it seems like an incredibly long title, wait till we dive into the story. Some things, this is a Zack Snyder movie. I believe he did write and direct it. And I don't think, well, we're going to get personally later. Um, So, yeah, so this is a brand new movie, science fiction, um, huge cast, actually surprisingly huge cast as I was watching the film, kind of was just popping up all over the place. Now, Adam had actually suggested this movie to me, so I am going to blame those two hours and 15 minutes. I can never get back on him. But Ben, tell me your history with the film. I wanted to rip my eyes out, if that's any (laughs) consolation. Um. I, I watched it, and um, I was thinking to myself, Self, you really could have done a lot more with your life right then and then than wasted those two hours. Adam, tell us how you come across the film, and then uh, we shall begin. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was I was mostly watching it the first time with Tyler. I, think, I can't remember if we were eating or puzzling, one of the two. Um, we have a really bad puzzling problem. I'm I'm I know it's ridiculous. We've we have like 25 puzzles. He trades uh, puzzles this woman at his work, and I had to tell him to stop doing it because we we have way too many puzzles. We have another like five puzzles on top of that that's traded, and we've probably done about mm, since the summertime maybe like fifteen thousand piece puzzles up until this point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a sickness. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, got I didn't realize you lived at the <laughs> retirement home, Adam. Puzzling. <laughs> yeah, I'm really puzzled by this, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> he got me more puzzles for Christmas. And I have a, I turned my, uh, my five foot by seven foot drawing table, which I made myself. Very, very custom. Love it. I currently have a 3,000 piece puzzle occupied on that table. <laughs> so your life is just now puzzles. <laughs> puzzles and art. But yeah, so anyway, I digress. So we were watching this movie, and Tyler's like, Tyler's, Tyler's one of those people with those superpowers, just to be able to like quote anything. So we're just like, we're watching it, and the entire time he's just shooting off like random quotes and stuff from other movies. And I was like, God, this is so funny. Like we're having so much fun right now, just <laughs> just referencing every other possible movie that we can think of. I was like, we have to do this just just to burn it. And that is what we will be doing. We will be burning this film because it is not good. And as Adam was saying, and Ben and I were speaking off um, mic about this, it is completely derivative of literally any other science fiction movie you could have seen. To the point where it's like Netflix. What are you funding and where are you getting your funding to film ass films like this? Because it's like, I don't think Zack Snyder has done anything to prove himself worthy of a three-part series uh yeah it was yeah it was an interesting one i actually so one of the first things that kind of popped into my mind after i saw this and was kind of talking to you and ben about it briefly was you know i was really questioning how long ago the script was written and ben alluded to already that it was an older script and i looked back and apparently it was created um zach snyder and uh who's the other guy I'll, i'll find him i have him on here somewhere Oh, Kurt Johnston. 
but the two of them had created it back in 97. Oh my God. Yeah. Then they worked on um, 300 together in 2006 and like rock and rolled with it. They were going to go and try to pass this off, I think, to Disney, according to The Hollywood Reporter. But Disney ended up picking up Star Trek. Uh, no, not Star Trek. The other one. Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, that one. The big one. You know what I mean. <laughs> All right. This movie felt like, okay, written in 1997. That's fine. Maybe we should have updated the script from 1997 because I was watching it and it felt like an AI had written it because I was like, humans don't talk like this. Exposition doesn't just fall from our mouths like this. This isn't how people speak. This isn't how you tell a story. Ben? Yeah, it was like the Magnificent Seven meets Anastasia meets Star Wars meets Starship Troopers meets the Nazi invasion. It was just bad. And it was all over the place. Okay, and like, here's the thing. I get Zack Snyder's kind of thing. I He did, kind of did this with like Army of the Dead and... Um, he did another movie that I can't think of right now. Oh, Suicide Squad, where he's doing these, or Justice League, whatever, where he brings together a group of people and this group of people have to fight the big bad. Well, guess what? He never gives you enough background on any of these characters to actually give a shit about them or their mission or the world building. Like, I was watching this movie. This movie's two hours and 15 minutes. There is minimal world building or the world building is so inconsistent. It's like, what's happening? Like, nothing makes sense. And I will say, we're going to start and end. Starting off with the world in space blackness. Opening up, and this is why I hate male filmmakers. Opening up to this vagina-looking hole where a giant ship is just penetrating through it. And we're calling it the motherland. Oh, why? And then we're ending with Ed Skeen, who, uh, who plays Admiral Noble, in basically this AI generated ambiotic sack, like he is being reborn. Actually, he is being reborn because they bring him back to life. And I was like, for the two women characters that you have in this film, and we will talk about them, this is the most insane imagery to start and end your film with. What? Uh, yeah, I know. And and the thing that I question about it too is like, all right. We started off in 97. I'm like, I'm seriously questioning like, all right, you know, were the female leads actually female leads? No. At, at the beginning. So, you know what I mean? Because like, I'm sure as time went on, he was still interested. Because this is, you know, this is his child when he made this script. And I'm sure he had to adapt it over the years. Like, oh, crap, this is of this. Now that, you know, time to change. Or, oh, someone did this. Let me go and change this around. There was also another scene where the farmer guy, when they went into that village, do you remember that? And then this random dude was trying to go and like buy him out for sex. I don't know. There, there was that that seemed a little bit like awkward. I was like, was that really an original script? I, don't, I don't know. But yeah, this the whole script just being, I don't know. I just really, I just really question because they didn't revisit it. I think until after he did his DC movies and there was a falling out. John said with some other, with some other group or whatever. So that's when they like called each other back and they were like, oh, let's try this movie. And also, apparently, they originally wanted this to be rated R, just like the stupid three hundred movie. And then they ended up wanting to get like more audiences in it, so they ended up turning it into a PG thirteen movie. Was my understanding? Okay, a, a lot there, but we'll start with one thing and then I'll bounce to the next. I don't believe in today's society that ratings actually mean anything unless you're going to theaters. Even with an R rated film, 
on streaming, there's no way that you're going to restrict that much of your audience unless you're trying to appeal to a adolescent child audience. This movie is not that. And if it is, then they don't know how to market to kids yeah. or anyone for that matter, because any story should be universal and you can have higher violence and you can have higher gore. The violence in this was so bad. The guns actually didn't make sense. And this is something I want to talk about later. This is not the point I want to make. But Zack Snyder coming off the success of 300 in what? 2008? Six? In 2006. Okay. Maybe as a director, we can change and maybe grow our style a little, a little bit. I think I said this to Ben off mic, but I think this movie wouldn't have been as long if we didn't have a slow motion jumping shot maybe every two minutes. Maybe every time we had a battle, we didn't need to do every movement in a slow motion shot. I don't know. I was like, okay, this was cute in 300 when you did it once or twice. And now this is what you're making your whole style based off of. It actually sucks. Also, let's talk about the consistency of CGI throughout a film. Because if you're going to be building a fantastical world, you actually have to have consistent CGI. Because there were scenes where I was like, oh, okay, this is a desktop screensaver. Like, we have giant red Saturn. We have beautiful fields. Like, I was like, okay, like, I see the imagery you're pulling off. And then there's one scene where they go into, like, another planet. I'm sorry, guys. I actually don't remember any of the planet's names, and I refuse to learn them. They go to another planet, and it looks like the first renderings of, a, of like, a Blade Runner town. It is just, like, these very odd blocks that are supposed to be i think buildings but everything is gray nothing is there's no definition there's no actual personality to the town i literally was like oh i think they threw this in because they wasted all their budget on this saturn shot and now they're like oh wait we actually have to fill in all this dead space oh my god yeah and then let's talk about the fight scenes for a second i just the fight scenes What frustrated me about the fight scenes, with the exception of the very first one that caught me a little off guard, but I wasn't even really, like, that surprised with, you could pretty much tell what was going to happen the entire time. So the first scene that I am talking about was at the very beginning. I'm just sitting there with Tyler, and I'm like, okay, she's going to go and kick their ass. Um, Because it just, like, it alluded to the stupid cleaver being in the stump and all this other bullshit. And then, uh, you know, the other guy comes in. He's like, "Mm, I'm going to go tell you. Mm." And and I was like, all right. Yes, Cotman like, made the panics. Right? <laughs> I was like, but she's going to come, though. She's, where, is, where, where is she? Where is she? And then she comes out and then, like, kills them all. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I was kind of waiting for that. But, like, every other scene, even the last one, God. So, like, I even called it. She uh, was, it, like, the very last fight scene right before it's just her and the dude. Uh, well, she already started off with her and the dude, but she's going pew, 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 with the little gun things, right? And then the explosion happens, and then you like it kind of pans away from her, jumps back over to him, and you see him kind of on this like moving platform that's kind of floating, and um, he's just trying to get his balance on there. Then all of a sudden, she like falls out of nowhere. I'm like, and her gun's gone. Like I already knew that her gun was going to be gone because she can't ever gun if she's going to be five feet in front of him because then she can just kill him. So then she goes and jumps on there. They fight for a little bit, and I'm like, okay. And then he knocks her over onto a ledge. She's dangling on for dear life. Yep. Like, again, predictable. And then you see the chain that's kind of on the ground. I'm like, mm, bet you money that she's going to grab the chain. And then she's going to throw it up. And then she's going to knock him off. Oh, she did knock him off balance. Okay. You know, it just, I don't know. The fight scenes were just, they just weren't creative. They just weren't creative. Before I go into one of probably the biggest tangents of this episode, Ben, would you like to add anything? 
yeah, like the characterization was terrible. Um, there's one lady, she's supposed to be a swords master. It reminded me of a Rooney Kenshin, but she had lightsabers. So yes, there are lightsabers in this movie. Just want you to know that. And she fights a dryad. If you don't know what a dryad is, it's from Dungeons and Dragons. It's a half human, half spider. And it was just so bad. And then when they get on the platform he's talking about, it reminded me of Flash Gordon when they're on that rotating uh, platform in, in uh, the Hawkman's palace. It was just so, it was so painful. All right. I agree with all the points. It is incredibly painful. So let's talk about, we're going to, I'm going to bounce back between both of these points because I have a lot to say on both of them. Sorry, guys. Buckle in. So let's start off with the idea of a female lead. So we have our female lead, Cora. She is in this farming, farming planet. She is found on this farming planet. She is trying to keep her head down, do her job. She has a relationship with this older man who has kind of taken her in, is trying to uh, let her assimilate into this community. And she and she kind of does it. She's very quiet. She keeps to herself. There's another character, Den, who's like the best hunter. He's obviously wants her. There's another character, Gunner, who is a humble farmer who is also in love with her. We love a mysterious, quiet woman. Now, when I see an... Okay. So let's talk about the atrocities of war and how mishandled it is in this film. Because one of the reasons why, and we are, and this is why it is so crazy to me, because we are in not the U.S., but we are in a wartime. We are actively seeing a genocide happen. That is fact. We are watching that. So you're going to create a film about one government oppressing and having genocide over all these other planets and you're actually not going to talk about it at all other from other than from the point of the perspective of we need to stop this let's build together this ragtag group and i want to talk especially because you brought up nemesis and the dryad because you see what war has done to this one woman she has lost all her children she cannot produce children she feels like she has lost her way because war has taken everything from her and so what she is doing obviously coping with it in a very wrong way she's stealing children she wants other mothers to be afflicted because she doesn't understand her pain which is fine but let's actually talk about that because that's i think a huge point point. and then you see all these other planets that they go to to save uh prince Tarek who's like this great prince you see the twins that are starting this insurgence you see all these hints of uprising and you see all these hints of oppression and you actually could talk about war and you actually and they actually don't they actually don't talk about anything they actually have really bad fight scenes instead and i think it is so crazy because you that because war affects everyone and if you're gonna have a story where you show people going to different planets that have been affected by war and you're pulling the strongest of these planets to help you maybe you should actually talk about the ramifications of that because everyone and this is bad story writing because you're supposed to feel for all these characters and i actually don't know a single thing about them I actually don't know why I should care about any of them, except for Cora, who is maybe the least likable. Yeah. I'm like Charlie Hunnam. Like, OK, OK, let's get back to our first fight scene, because I do want to talk about it, because we see the evils of the military again. But it is not t- 
talked about. We see that we have these men who are obsessed with power. We see that when they are abusing the AI. Again, another plot point that we just kind of picked up and dropped, which I will be talking about. But we see them talking about this AI and how this AI used to fight for the king. But then since the king was slain, they just stopped fighting. Well, that seems like a crazy kind of phenomenon. Maybe we should talk about that, especially in the first fight scene where we see the AI become autonomous and actually kill, right? Maybe we should maybe we should expand on that. But also, you have all these men that are showing violence and un, and no respect for the people that they are oppressing, which is great, but let's maybe talk about why the military or why these oppressive regimes have this sort of mentality and what they're kind of doing to brainwash or how are they recruiting these evil men because i'm sorry maybe i want to believe the good in people but if i get 10 men in a room like the 10 men were in a room i'm not going to consider that all nine of them are rapists which is what this movie's logic is having you do and guess what maybe they are maybe i'm living in a fantasy world you're gonna have 10 men in a room they're all going to want to rape one girl except for one kid. And then they're all going to beat him up. And then we have to have Cora come save the day. That's insane. That is insane. Because then you're just telling me that everyone, which I also agree with, that everyone in a military setting, you are so brainwashed and you are so stripped that you have nothing but the collective community, the collective consciousness of your regime. Right. That makes sense. And I see that. But at the same time, the movie does nothing to expand on that. You're just saying, okay, all these men are bad. And we dress them like Nazis. Okay, cool. But give us more. No, I, <laughs> I did have... Oh, well, you know what? I, w I will say this. All right. So Dune itself came out not too recently. Or uh, fairly recently, right? Dune itself has been a book forever. There's also right. been an original movie from the 80s. But yes, this yeah. iteration of this Dune iteration. came out recently. <laughs> yeah. History, guys, learn it. <laughs> you heard um, it here first. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, I feel like wasn't that movie just about as long, approximately? I mean, you know, painfully. Like, but I am a Dune still, fan. Are we right? not? Wait, I, I am. I am. I am a Dune fan. Ben, are you not a Dune fan? I did not like this rendition of Dune. No, I did not. Oh, oh my god. Oh, okay, but still, I mean, can you at least appreciate the fact that, like, at least this newer iteration? of it um you know actually did a good job with storytelling and world building i mean yes like, yes I, actually, I will agree with that because right? i am I, I am a dune fan i like the original dune i liked sting in dune i thought the original dune was i don't know i just like the characterization of the bad people better in the first one than the remake if that makes any sense I agree it, it, it does but I, I i think i think what's great to note is like as we go and reflect upon some of these movies that you know we think have room for improvement like what are those movies that are being successful? And, you know, this recent iteration of it is something that came out recently. And these two movies are like going up against each other. And it's just like it just pales in comparison when I when I think about it. Um, and I don't even have to know like a whole lot of the history in the background. I don't have to read the damn book. I mean, I just I, I felt completely differently watching Dune from beginning to end. And I fully agree with that because what we can what we can boil that down to is cohesive story writing, actual character development, consistent world building, all under a director who understands the source material and the story that they are telling, right? If you look at the story of Paul Atreides, it is an anti-hero tale. We're not supposed to like Paul. Paul's actually not likable. 
in this movie, they try to make everyone except for the army unlikable. I mean, likable. The army is the only unlikable people. But you have to understand, in war, because war is complicated, people are complicated. And they tried to do this with Kor. They really tried to do this with her. And they failed miserably. Because you can you can see that you can try to stop the genocide that's happening around you. Especially, like, if we're looking at Dune. Like, Dune is a war story. But in this they what they fail to do is have any follow through with any of the points they make i want to talk about the first battle or the first fight scene one more time because i want to talk about the the ai story and then we're going to be done with it because they brought it back at the end for nothing oh my god have you seen um so i was watching (laughs) i haven't watched sweet tooth but i was trying to i was trying to remember this entire time i'm like what the fuck is stupid you know because first he's like i'm as innocent as a daisy and then by the end of it it's like oh i'm super horny for you like the you know the stupid antlers on the end of it um it was sweet tooth i think the it was the still on the thumbnail i think of netflix or something like that but the entire time i was just like what the hell does that remind me of yeah just poking up in the middle of the (laughs) in the middle of the field so and here's the thing if they did this in a certain way i think it actually could be super compelling now nothing is solved in this part one it felt very much like lord of the rings where we're assembling our team for the big bad the big bad has a setback but now we're but we should actually be invested in the story that is being told you are not you will just see the assembling of a team that i couldn't give a shit about and my axe <laughs> <laughs> and my axe so we have this ai the whole storyline of this ai is that they that they are non-violent now that their their king is slain their king is that they're non-violent but we see the kindness because if you're beautiful that means you're nice and if you're not beautiful then you're a badass and it's like women can be more than one thing and in this movie they were only one fucking thing and it pissed me off so what we're talking about is the character of sam she's a beautiful girl in the town she brings water to the people and as she's bringing water they decide to um kidnap her but there's a moment where she is being very kind to the ai to the robot after they beat him like bully him for no reason he's an effing robot and they're like shooting at him they're making him dirty so he goes to like wash himself off and he's talking about how kindness is a virtue and she is showing kindness to him she makes him a little flower crown is this ai autonomous he blushes so does he have feelings unresolved 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 so now she is getting she is fighting or she is fighting for her life. She's actually kind of just being damseled while Cora is doing all the fighting. She is killing all these wannabe rapists. And then the AI comes in still wearing the flower crown. And it is assumed that he has to follow the orders of the commanders, but he picks up the gun seemingly for the first time since the King has been dead and actually shoots the commander so again we're seeing that autonomy and we're seeing that kind of progression of the ai could have been super interesting except he leaves and then at the end of the film we see him emerging with just a bigger headdress of deer antlers does this mean he's been hunting does this mean he is experimenting with his violence does this mean he is becoming more autonomous is this actually going to help be part of this resistance of the mothership or motherland or the regime i don't even know so when i saw that with the deer antlers it reminded me of that movie on i want to say paramount plus the show where the girls crashed into the the 
the mountains. No, Yellow Jackets is so much better. No, than I'm just this. talking about the the oh, visualization. Okay, okay, okay. No, the visual <laughs> the visualization of the antlers reminded me of Yellow Jackets, like that picture where the girls like comes out of the woods and she has the the, the antlers yeah. on. That's what it reminded me of. I mean, and then as far as storytelling goes, as far as this movie, there's a part in in Lord of the Rings where Faramir kills one of the elephant riders and he says to Frodo and Sam what makes him evil he goes he didn't leave his house thinking he was evil he didn't come here believing he was evil he believes he's on the side of right just like I believe I'm on the side of right and you, you kind of understood that right or wrong they're fighting for a belief in this I didn't know who the hell was fighting for what you don't know who's fighting for what and then you see this specifically with this the siblings so we haven't even we've been talking about how bad this movie is do you guys even know the story we haven't even talked about the story oh my god the storyline <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, uh. it's, it's, it's <laughs> super it is so fucking basic Ugh. it's so basic and again what it is it feels like it is just this mass exposition of meeting all these characters the two main people that they are hunting for are these two siblings called the Blood Axe siblings, and they are leading the insurgents. And so Gunner has already sold food to them because he's just goodwill for all. Like, he's not, he's like, I'm not trying to ruff, ruffle feathers. I'm just trying to sell food because we need to eat. It's like, you guys are fine. Maybe if you didn't do this, you wouldn't have brought the regime to you. We see the regime enact power by killing off the head of the um town or the planet that the this farming community lives on and now gunner is now kind of enemy number one he's kind of said oh we have surpluses under being foolish thinking that these people have a good intention which they don't and it's like okay are you really that dumb and as the movie goes on it proves that he is that dumb and then there's one moment of redemption at the end which i'm like you're still an idiot you put everyone in this position but these two siblings and they talk about this when they are all together fighting and charlie hunnam has now captured everybody because he is as we said a bad hand solo <laughs> totally bad hand solo and the, and the foreshadowing on charlie's character it made me want to vomit like the first time that they met and then um cora was like oh my god like so what do you do and he's like mm -hmm, you could call myself an opportunist i was like all right listen I know you're gonna go. I like it. It was just super. It was just super none sexual. of this movie was not predictable. Everything was predictable. Yeah, everything was predictable. He's an opportunist. Okay, you can have war opportunists. This happens, and if you're gonna show that, maybe expand on it. But he has this whole, I would say, hollow monologue about being on the right side of history and how leading an insurgence is on the wrong side of history. But he's also not gonna be part of history and i was like dude shut up take your money like no one cares <laughs> oh my god yo he did die so. no i know but no, I so that's a, that's a, like that was a good thing <laughs> yeah it was a good thing it was yeah he died again with some of the worst cgi i've ever seen do the guns fight lasers or do they fight fire or do they fight bullets like what oh yeah like what even is all that yeah, that was uh, that was savage. Is this the PG thirteen rating? Because like I didn't see any blood, but I see people firing. Also, are we in the whole Star Wars mindset where the stormtroopers actually just fire a ton of bullets but can't hit anybody? Where's the training going? Again, like none of this movie makes sense. 
Although it was definitely a Han Solo reference to that character. I mean, he was 100% Han Solo. I'm an opportunist. Like every, I was waiting for Chewbacca to walk out of the freaking room and go, Arr! I mean, that's the only thing I was missing. <laughs> Legitimately, the only thing I was missing. I was like, be more derivative. And now, especially hearing that this movie didn't come out until, I mean, was written in 1997. You've had like almost 30 years to fix this. Right? And develop there's some kind of a story. It's like you don't have, without developing a story like Dune, yeah, like, you know, I mean, you don't have to go in that gross a detail either. But, like, if you don't have some seriously developed story, then how are you supposed to be able to go and create this script that's supposed to be able to based off this whole world that you did? And then you had, what, like 20 years to do it? 20 years. And then how are we supposed to care about the next two parts? And I hated how it ends. It ends and it goes, end of part one. No one's looking forward to part two. I'm sorry. And then, like, the whole foreshadowing. Oh, this would be a beautiful place to die. Okay, well, I know you are all going to die and the final battle is going to be on this planet. Thank you for that. No one cares. Did you know they got nominated for an award? Like a Razzie? Look it up, because if it's not a Razzie, I have actually lost all faith. Ben? I would just like to say, like, that part at the ending, it's, for me, I, I'm old, so I used to watch the old Flash Gordon episodes on television, and they would actually do that, be like, this is the end of episode one. So that's what it reminded me. Like, everything in this movie was like something from someone else. Okay, and so it got nominated for makeup. I guess that's fine. I mean, I don't, the makeuping is fine in it. The creatures are fine in it. It's something that you would see literally anywhere else. I mean, watch an episode of Face Off, and I think you've seen every single monster. But yes, technically, this movie has been nominated for a singular award makeup. <laughs> that it needs to make up a plot. It needs to make up a plot, Ben. Thank you. Okay. So this movie is bad. And now I want to talk about the idea of this princess who can bring things back to life and it is assumed i'm going to assume that she's actually still alive calling it in parts two oh, or three yeah. and the sam character at the beginning like even it, if she's not alive they were saying like oh i've seen Corey was like i've seen power that was just so amazing and i'm like i don't even know the half of it like i wouldn't be surprised if she was legitimately killed but then like was able to reincarnate herself in some like crazy fucked up way into another body and if it's Sam, I would actually like that because then that would actually track with the AI storyline. I don't think the story is oh, that deep. The AI like knows because he says her. that. Well, remember he. Re well, remember he says that he goes. I've never seen virtue like you, except for the princess Anastasia. Anastasia. So he had. They have this moment, and then everything is just dropped, and then you see Cora as I can't Artemis. I don't know what her battle name was. But we see her with a battle name, and she changes her name because she's ashamed of being in battle, and she's ashamed of being a conqueror. She's actually one of the best soldiers. She's actually brought up by one of the generals after he kidnaps her from her town, which felt very much like Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy. 100%. I, I literally was like... Thanos. I, yeah, I was like, I am actually waiting for an original point to be made here, because it's not. Anyone else upset? That Buckbeak was actually not part of the storyline. <laughs> they went through all that effort to go and, like, tame the thing just to get out. And, like, I get it, but, like, all right, well, now we kill the guy. Isn't he going to, like, run away and fly back to you, and then you get to keep him and then have this, like, hippogriff mount? No. <laughs> no. Again, okay, so we have Prince Tarek, who is, uh, or Tarak. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Tarek, though. That's how they made it sound to me. That's, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. 
I had the subtitles on. That's not what the spelling was, though. So that is where I am confused. So they capture this prince because, again, all these different planets have been enslaving different people in the name of this, like, motherland or whatever. But it doesn't. But so the the grip of the motherland is deep, but not that deep because I don't know, because they Ed Skeen's running around on this massive penis ship. I don't know. I hate it. I hate it. So they kidnap Prince Tark. And now one of his trials is to release the Harry Potter bird. And they fly around together. And he's like, oh, I'm back one with myself. And I was like, "Okay, so let's bring the bird on the ship. Would be great in the final battle nowhere to be found they start they have so many points that they start and they just fall off maybe even they could have shipped the bird back to the farming town so he had it there or killed they had it meant nothing legitimately nothing i think it actually meant so that they could have a cgi scene where he slow motion jumps off of a cliff onto the back of the bird i honestly think that's what the whole effing setup was Oh, that was probably, like, one of the biggest callbacks to their quote-unquote signature that I saw in that whole movie. Like, the second he did that, I was like, 300? No. And then I found that he did it, and I was like, okay. And then what I thought was the biggest callback was when she's in her flashback, and she's waving the Imperial flag over this, like, and I was like, oh, yeah, this I saw this in 300. Actually, I think you tried to do this in the sequel to 300, which was just as bad. Like, So I don't know if you guys ever watched The Magnificent Seven, but Magnificent Seven is basically, like, uh, Yul Brenner goes and he gets a bunch of people that he knows that are fighters. Like one's a gunfighter, one's a sword fighter. You know, well, not sword, but daggers. And um, he brings them all to fight this raiding um, group of raiders that mess with a town, i.e. this plot. And one of the situations is one of the guys he goes to get, is t- he has to tame a, a wild horse. So that's what, it totally reminded me of that. I was like, oh my God, this is the Magnificent Seven. Holy crap. And I didn't even realize, I guess it was, and I, again, I just read this uh one article on the Hollywood Reporter, but I, I guess it was like the original intent was to have like seven samurai, <laughs> like the seven samurai. samurai. Yeah. Yes, it's it's the seven samurai, and then the Magnificent Seven was based off the seven samurai, and then this movie totally rips off the seven samurai. This movie doesn't know what it wants to be, and it's very apparent because nothing is developed, no characters are developed, no story is developed. You watch battle scene after battle scene, and you still can't discern who's good or who's bad. Ed Skeen dies. He comes reincarnated. We see that the father that kidnapped Cora is still alive. And I will say, though, the biggest jump scare is the flashback scene where Cora's talking to the king and it's Carrie Yules. And I was like, what kind of awful CGI did you guys do to that him? This is not if it wasn't for his voice, I would have been like, what the F is going on? Yeah, because, OK, so this movie has a huge cast. We have Demon Hussian is in it. Charlie Hunnam is in it. I have mentioned Ed Skeen a bunch of times. Uh, Sophia Botanelli is our Cora. And Gunner is popular. I don't know his name, but I did see him in a movie called The Age of Adeline, where he was Blake Lively's love interest and Harrison Ford's son. So I what what's his name? Do you have it up? I don't think so. But I, I didn't even notice. I was looking through the... <laughs> we're looking through the cast right now just to go back over it. I was looking through the cast earlier. I was like, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is in there. Okay, who the F is Jimmy? That's who Anthony Hopkins is the voice of. Is that the robot? Is that the AI? Oh, it must Yeah, it must have been the AI. Oh, my goodness. Like, yes, because he's not acting. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is not acting. He's the yeah, voice. He's the voice. Oh, my God. Okay, and I was thinking of Michelle Hoosman. That's who I was talking about. Um, but again, a huge cast. Again, 
a jump scare that this is a, a Anthony Hopkins is in this movie. This is a literal jump scare. But what what do I know, right? Obviously nothing because I did not like this movie. But Netflix is gonna greenlight two more parts of it. I don't know. I I feel like it's it was Netflix's answer because I think Dune originally came out streaming service wise on Max, didn't it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but that's because the, of Warner Brothers' rights with HBO, and I'm not gonna talk. We can't talk about distribution because then, like, then what is this? Also, their response to Disney having Star Wars, like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, right? Because like Disney, <laughs> Disney doesn't really care. Especially, for, I, I'm sure they, even if they were to get the script, they probably would have taken two seconds and been like, no. But to have, I mean, I don't know, it kind of came out not too long after Dune came out on Max. I'm wondering if they tried to start so they could have their own, like, answer to the popularity of Dune and try to ride the coattails. But isn't Dune now on Netflix? Didn't they just switch it over? Like, distribution and licensing have should have nothing to do with this. Ben, what were you about to say? I was going to say, would, would this be their attempt to, like, counter Percy Jackson? And then, again, if it's based off of Percy Jackson, if they're trying to counter Percy Jackson... Maybe make this a series. If you made this a series, okay, Zack Snyder, walk with me for a little bit. I know. Walk, Zack, walk. <laughs> let's let's think about this logically, okay? You got a three part movie. We could have made that a three season, ten episode show, right? Maybe then we would have more in depth world building. Maybe then I would care about every single person on this team. Maybe then we'd have an actual storyline. Or at the very least, a time spinner so we can go and get Buckbeak back. <laughs> Literally, I need so much. I want to see how all these people came to be because all these people just show up and they come and they find them and they show up and they're like, okay, well, this is my life now because my my original life has been torn apart by war. Okay, cool. But what is next? <laughs> like, what is next? Because how did you find them? How did your life get to this? Why do I care about you? What have you gone through? What is connecting me to you to care about you to move you forward in the story? You know, and if and if this first movie is supposed to be the foundation for the next two movies, how much more little uh, like little background information are we going to get by the second movie? Like we already don't have that much to begin with. And then and then you're going to go and try to like, all right, well, off this like, you know, ragtag house on stilts. How are we then going to go and build our you know skyscraper on top of it? Like. I don't know. I don't even know what the second movie is going to be about. Well, we have Ed Skeen, who's come back to life in his AI womb. Hated it. Right. Disgusting. And now we have the group, our ragtag group, back on the homing planet. So I am to assume if there's any cohesiveness from any point that was made in the first one, Ed Skeen and his army will now go back to to collect on the grain that they have been commissioned that they have commissioned this town to buy right oh yeah and then maybe Cora will see them and be like didn't i kill you and everyone will be like what is going on and then there's going to be a big battle and she's going to end up because her father like thanos figure said bring her alive to me and i think that's how two is going to end and then three is going to start with her back in the military or fighting against the military from the inside i don't know like maybe if they had a cohesive i don't know and that's grasping at whatever straws they left us with. You know, I, I almost have a feeling that, like, the second one, I don't even think they're just going to go and be like, oh, we're going to pick up your grain. Like, they, he already knows who the farmer is and that he just let everyone go and then got him in huge trouble. I think he's just going to go directly back to that world and then just start to, like, demolish it. 
and they're gonna have like a time crunch to try to run back there and stop them from doing that. No, they're already on the planet. We ended okay. with them on the planet. Remember, this is a beautiful place to die. There's a robot with deer ears. Oh, We're on goodness. the planet. I, I completely. <laughs> there was there was so much and so little going on. I I guess I must have like blinked for two seconds. Like I heard what they were saying and I like I got it, but I didn't realize that they were like hovering above the planet. Yeah, he you know he's just gonna go back and just like. Chill. They weren't hovering above the planet. They were in the planet. They were in the field. Well, I saw them poke up at the end, and then they like all came back and stuff. No, I they didn't all walk in. Like... They were on the planet. I think the AI who is connected to the other AI, they're going to come to fight the planet and he's going to have the other AI show up to help. I would love the AI to actually have a storyline because it was just like here and gone. I would actually love that. I would love for something to actually happen in part two. I don't know. Zack Snyder, I'd love for you to surprise me. You don't. You actually just consistently disappoint me. And I've, against my will, seen a lot of your work. I, as much as we're trashing this, you know we're going to have to see the second one now to see how much, like, how similar... It is to what we figured it was going to be. And like I said, I have seen a lot of Zack Snyder's work against my will. (laughs) If I don't pull out my eyes, I will guarantee you I'll watch the second one just so we can do this. Right? (laughs) If we don't Paul Atreides ourselves, we're going to watch this. You you don't get that reference, do you? No, but I'm going to laugh real hard. (laughs) Adam, (laughs) I'm just so proud of you for actually watching the movie this time. Thanks. Yeah, on occasion, I kind of do a little bit of something. <laughs> so which one did you think was hot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's the hottie of the film? Oh, all right. Well, I, I, will, I will say, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was tough. I was so distracted by everything that was going on and not going on in the movie. The that, puzzles? Um, <laughs> the puzzles. The, the puzzles. But I, I will say that uh, when I first saw Charlie Hunnam, <laughs> he was in, uh, I saw him in Pacific Rim. And then eventually huh. I saw him in like, King Arthur, right? But Pacific Rim, I was like, okay. Sons of Anarchy? Haven't watched it. Not my style. I know. Kira's jaw just dropped, and that's real life. That's okay. (laughs) That's so funny. I will say, I am a Charlie Hunnam fan, and my favorite Charlie Hunnam work is actually Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman, which, if you want to talk about fun storytelling, Guy Ritchie can tell a fun story. And Charlie Hunnam's accent in that is awesome. He's more proper British, so I like it. Okay, but I think this movie, the hottest person is Cora. Sophia Butinelli is so beautiful. And as I was watching this movie, all I wanted to say was, I want to be her agent because I would actually get her a leading role where she would be phenomenal because she's actually a great actress and she just needs her time to shine. And this role, she did her best with what she was given and it was not a lot, but she is phenomenal and I love her. You can dress up poop all you want, but it's poop. (laughs) (laughs) It's still poop. All right. Friends, friends, friends. Here at What's Happening, we are honest with you. And I can honestly say, unless you want to laugh and you want to get with a group of your friends and you want to point out the atrocities of this film, do it. If not, don't watch it. Because I think we've pulled a lot of material out of, I would say, our butts. Because it wasn't given to us in the script. No. No, not at all. Oh, God. I mean, even is like, so oftentimes I'll put movies on in the background as like I'm doing my art or something like that. It's a great thing to have on the background when you like don't want to pay attention but need background noise. Like, yeah. I would, that's probably going to be the second one, which is real bad. So I'm also going to have to like take a little bit of notes. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to work that. But yeah, like on in the background, like, you know, 
or laughing with your friends and just have the, oh, you could turn to a drinking game. Every time you roll your eyes, take a shot. Oh, wait, I'm wasted in the first five minutes. <laughs> God. Ugh. Uh, okay, friends. Ben, would you recommend this movie? Not on my life. <laughs> okay, and I will say Netflix and Zack Snyder, if you want this movie to have any success, you better rapid fire out parts two and three because if people have to wait more than three months for them, all interest is going to die. This is not a movie that can sustain itself. Yeah. It can't sustain streaming. It, it, it actually cannot. I don't, I don't know what their plan was. I, I feel like they just wasted, I don't know, what was the budget? I don't know. I'm going to guess they probably just wasted $20 million, though. At least. At I mean, minimally. There's nothing memorable about this movie. I'm not going back, and I'm just like, oh, wow, what about that scene? I don't know. There's nothing, like, anchoring me to it. So even now, I like, the only reason it's fresh is because I had it on the background again while I was doing art. Like, I watched it a second time. But even after the first time, I was, like, I remembered more of what, Tyler and I were shouting as the movie was going on and the references we were making than I do the actual movie itself. And that's pretty sad. So, yeah, it's like, you're totally right. I don't know how well people or audiences are still going to get hooked. And then it's like, well, what do you go back to afterwards? The first movie to remember what you missed? There's nothing. There's nothing. Also, I would like to say before, I'm so sorry, I did not mean to rip the mic away from you, but this movie is called Rebel, Rebel Moon, A Child of Fire. Who's our child of fire? Cora. Cora's a child of fire because she's a grown adult. But she started out as a child in the in the in the war. Yeah. Okay, I guess I guess that's I I agree with that, but I hate it. I should fall on a sword for knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Zack Snyder. I feel like Zack Snyder's gonna write personally a thank you for that because I don't even think he knew who the child of fire was. <laughs> Swear to God. Swear. I would and I would love if any of you guys have watched this movie and you vehemently disagree with our analysis of it I would actually love for you to write in because I would love to have a conversation with you about this movie and if you can convince me of the story points I will give it a second chance and I will come on air and say how wrong I am that is how confident I am (laughs) (laughs) make sure you follow us guys follow us on whatever streaming service you're on like for the apps for the, the podcast follow 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 so you can keep up with us Ben where can they write in washappening.com and you go there and we each have little sections that you can write to us also leave a comment on our youtube also tell your friends about us also don't watch this movie i'm so sorry i cannot stress it enough Un- unless you watch it and love it and then write into me and tell me how bad i am and how wrong i am and if they are valid good cohesive thought out points i will agree with you home alone depressed need a good laugh throw on rebel moon throw on rebel moon <laughs> And then you'll probably fall asleep to it, you know? Nice, cozy soundtrack, boring. Visuals, boring. And there's nothing good about this film, guys. Watch legitimately anything else. Adam's going to look up the budget. I could riff about how bad it is. Zack Snyder, maybe stop making films. Or maybe get a writer that understands you or something. Thank you, Disney, for not oh. supporting this. Oh, okay. So it says for both parts of Rebel Moon. Will there be a part two of Rebel Moon? But right now we're looking at the estimated budget of $166 million. And honestly, I would love to know where that money went. To makeup? (laughs) To makeup? That's $166 million worth of makeup? Then you better win every single award. Ring of power. Ring of power. Also, here it is. Okay, so sequel, Rebel Moon, part two, The Scar Giver. Only mentioned that nickname once. So again, these... These little subtitles are insane. Will debut in April. So what month is it? We got four months. It's not going to last. 
no one's going to care about this movie in April. I don't care about it now, and I'm talking about it. <laughs> and we all had to watch it for this podcast. Um, Adam, I am blaming you. This is also the last time I give you a suggestion. I let you suggest a film. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You can always redeem yourself. You can always redeem yourself. No, but I thought I knew you would be passionate about it. And we are. And, and I knew that there was like, I don't know, it was foolishness. I, I, think, I think there's something to be said, you know, being critical about things to kind of get that whole spectrum of, of what we think is like really well done and, and what needs a lot of work. And sometimes just doing like really good movies or like mediocre movies is not the same as doing like really, really bad movies. I agree. We have to keep our perspective. We have to keep our edge. And if we saturate ourselves with too many good films, I guess we can become boring. I'd like to point out that this is coming from a guy that's wearing I'll Bring the Chaos shirt. <laughs> and what has he brought to this podcast today? Chaos. <laughs> well, thank you guys. I know when we have Adam on, it's a little bit more chatty. So I do appreciate that you guys listen to us. We, I love having him on. I'm giving him a hard time, but that's because I love him. Adam is a great addition to whatever um, films we like to talk about. Again, always listen, listen, like, subscribe. And thank you for supporting us. If you're a Zack Snyder fan, I do not apologize. Actually, I take that back. <laughs> maybe you can write into him and tell him to get better taste. Or maybe you can get better taste. Anyways, catch us next time on What's Happening.